Hi everyone, I'm Camila. Welcome to another episode of That Brazilian Girl podcast. Today's episode is a special one because I'm going to be talking to you about my dissertation topic. So without further ado, I'm going to start. My dissertation was on ethics and trends in the repatriation of human remains and cultural artifacts. I was lucky enough to be supervised by two amazing researchers and professors. The first supervisor was Julie Roberts and my second supervisor was Alex Brochaw. And I did this dissertation under my Bachelor's of Science with Honours in Forensic Anthropology at Liverpool Jamal's University. So to start off, as I said, the topic is ethics and trends in the repatriation of remains and cultural artifacts. So before starting my actual um, explanation of this dissertation, I have to give you um, like a starting point on what repatriation means. So there's a growing body of literature that recognizes the importance of repatriation of both human remains and cultural artifacts that are mostly held in institutions like museums or storage rooms in universities or other types of institutions across the world. And repatriation has been a growing interest in a wide range of fields like archaeology, forensic anthropology, biological anthropology, and etc. But the thing is, talking about repatriation is very complex because there's a lot of ethical issues surrounding that. So you can have a native repatriation, which means that you're requesting an item from the same country you currently live on. Or it can be an international repatriation. So, for example, I'm from Brazil and I'm studying in England. So, for example, if I was still in Brazil and I wanted to request an item from the British Museum, for example, that would be an international repatriation. But if I was in Brazil and I requested an item from a Brazilian museum or a Brazilian university storage room, then that would be a native repatriation. Repatriation processes are very difficult, regardless of if it's international or not, but international repatriations are much more complex, as you can imagine, because it's very difficult for a member of the public to understand how to even start on their request for repatriation, because you have to prove that you're connected to that cultural artifact or to that human remain, and that's not an easy thing to do. Even for someone that has knowledge of the process, it's not an easy task to prove that you are related to that item or human remain. So for an, a member of the public that doesn't have this knowledge, how would you even start um, looking for a person that had this knowledge? How would you look for a forensic anthropologist or for an archaeologist or for a biological anthropologist? It's very difficult to even imagine what to do in the first place. It's just something that technically it should be more of a clear process, but it's not because for museums and institutions, it's not on their best interest to make this process easier because it's not in their best interest to return anything in their collection. Uh, they might deny this because they have a public image that they have to portray, but by the end of the day, they do have their best interests, which is 
retaining the most of their collection as possible. And the thing about museums is they have massive storage rooms. They have huge storage rooms. I don't know if you've ever been to a museum storage room, but I have. And it's massive. And it's so sad to see that there's so many things that are kept away, completely away from everyone's eyes. And most people don't even know what exactly it is that they hold away from the public eye because they don't really say now i mean nowadays in europe museums have to be more clear about what's uh in their storage but even then most people are not even aware that they can see that online anyway because they don't really talk about it because again it's not in their best interest to talk about it so that's just the background of that situation right now, let's talk about another aspect of this. There's colonizer countries, which are Portugal, uh, England, Spain, France, Italy, etc. So, colonizer countries are mostly countries in Europe, not only in Europe, but they're mostly countries in Europe, located in Europe. But it's also an interesting thing when it comes to repatriation, because a lot of the times um, the US, the United States of America comes up and they are an interesting country when it comes to repatriation because they are technically a country that has been colonized by England. However, they also have a much more recent history of taking part in wars in other countries, right? They take a lot of they take part in a lot of conflicts in other countries, which therefore uh, cause them to receive more repatriation requests. Because if they if you take part in other countries' wars, then you know, incidentally, you do have cases of objects being stolen from those countries, and maybe even human remains being stolen from those countries as well which you can see across the data set when it comes to the United States of America. But what mostly shows up when it comes to the United States of America is repatriation requests from their own native groups. But we will talk more about this later. We'll go further into this case later on. So the main uh, goals and questions asked by this dissertation were to analyze whether there is a pattern across different repatriation cases, what role ethics plays on the topic of repatriation, as well as questioning whether the current system for repatriation is being conducted um, by the museum's own authority is working effectively, or whether governments should have official guidelines which would standardize the repatriation process. Um, so my materials and methods, that's a very interesting part because as you can probably tell at this point, my dissertation is mostly theoretical. Uh, so I didn't have to use a lab at any point for any stage of my dissertation. Um, but my materials and methods were um, building a data set, right? So to the best of my knowledge and as well as my supervisors, uh, there hasn't been any trend analysis conducted previously in the context of repatriation cases. So, therefore, 
I decided to gather a data set on different repatriation cases that were successful. There's not many successful repatriation cases, so they were quite specific cases. And then I further analyzed those cases by using a platform called SPSS. And then to analyze the trends and repatriations across the world and also throughout different periods of time, um, in order to determine whether there is a pattern between those different cases. Uh, and then, of course, I had to do a literature review on those repatriation cases to have a further information on the data that I was seeing. Uh, and those I use a lot of guidelines from research papers, reports, from news articles, uh, as well as guide guidelines such as the United Nations Declarations on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples from 2020. So that's quite recent. That is a very recent data that we were able to get. So that's very nice. Um, and then I put all of this data into Excel and I organized everything before running it through SPSS. Uh, then I further expanded that data into multiple roles uh, according to how many collections that had been repatriated per case and different, different factors were built into that sorting. Then each information, each case was given a number and a type of code so that could be then computed through SPSS. For example, um, cultural artifacts were numbered as one and human remains were numbered as two and so on. So that SPSS could analyze that data as SPSS only runs numbers, it doesn't run uh, words. So then through SPSS, that enables you to make diagrams. And then it was decided that along with the diagrams generated by SPSS, I would also generate a Sankey diagram. So if you Google Sankey diagrams, you'll see that they're like a flow uh, diagram, which looks pretty nice. And I thought it would be a very neat way to organize my data in order to be able to show it in a simpler and more organized manner, if that makes sense. It, just, it would just be a better way to visualize the data set, basically. Okay, so when it comes to the results section of my dissertation, uh, the first set of questions were aimed to analyze trends in the repatriation cases across the world and throughout different periods of time. And that was aiming to determine whether there was a pattern between those different cases. So again, SPSS was used uh, as a way to carry out the statistical analysis through the data set. And then in order to depict with greater detail, uh, which specific countries were requesting and returning the cultural artifacts or human remains. Uh, the Sankey diagram was generated so that it generated a nice flow. Uh, and we were able to see interesting things and interesting patterns through that Sankey diagram. For example, uh, again, just to, as a background, as you can't see the diagram, uh, one, the first diagram was the requester countries and the second diagram uh, was the returner countries. 
And on the request of countries, we have Australia in first place, New Zealand in second, the heater population of Canada in third, and then we have Chile, Benin, uh, USA natives, India, Thailand, Iraq, and Japan. And it's very interesting because Australia, New Zealand, and Haida population, they have quite a lot of successful uh, requests for their repatriation cases. Whereas Chile, Benin, the USA natives, India, Thailand, Iraq, and Japan, they have very few cases and very few um, requests that have been successful for repatriation cases. Uh, and then when we move on to the returner uh, countries diagram, the first place is non-specified collections from Europe and North America. And second is Australia. Third is collections from North America. And then we have um, the Chilean government in France, USA government, Germany and England. And again, uh, we have countries way on the bottom of that list when it comes to returning, uh, repatriate, and ac actually accepting repatriation requests and therefore returning uh, items or human remains. And on the top, uh, we have non-specified collections. So what does that mean? That means that it was most likely from university collections or museums that preferred not to uh, specify themselves when it came to that, but most likely from private collectors or from uh, university collections. Because a lot of universities in Europe, um, maybe you wouldn't know that, but a lot of universities in Europe hold a lot of items, uh, a lot of cultural artifacts, and human remains in their storage so that their students can study them. But that's not open to the public a lot of the times. Some universities do have it open to the public, like um, the University of Liverpool, for example, they do have parts of their storage open to the public. Um, they made a museum out of it, it's actually pretty interesting. But still, it's most universities wouldn't really have that open to the public, it's mostly to benefit their students. Um, so, which is also one of the reasons why it's so difficult to make repatriation requests, because how would you know that you have cultural artifacts or human remains that are linked to your community if you don't have access to those collections? So maybe you will never really find out. A lot of people don't, which is a really you know, complicated situation. So when it comes to the results generated by the data analysis in SPSS, it turns out that they were all statistically significant. So one of them presents a bar chart depicting the involvement of governments and NGOs in repatriation cases uh, present on the data set. And this bar chart on figure three presents that NGOs seem to only get involved in repatriation cases where human remains are also involved, whereas governments seem to get involved in cases where both cultural artifacts as well as human remains are involved, although the cases involved in repatriation of human remains are considerably higher comparing to those of cultural artifacts. Uh, a chi-square test was done 
and it turned out to be significant, which supported the result shown in the bar chart. Other results obtained also showed different patterns within the repatriation cases, such as the um, increase in pattern repatriations over the last three complete decades, so over 1990s, 2000s, and 2010s onwards. Uh, and the chi-squared results turned out to be highly significant, as well as a pattern which presented that international repatriations appeared to vastly focus on the repatriation of Vima remains rather than repatriation of cultural artifacts, whereas the native repatriations appeared to be more dominated by the repatriations of cultural artifacts rather than the repatriation of human remains. Uh, and the chi-squared results for that presented what... Uh, a significant value as well. Uh, the cutoff significance value was a p-value of 0.05 or lower. So this means that the results generated for this research are all statistically significant since they were all below the cutoff value of 0.05, which is great news because you never expect that all of your results will be statistically significant. So to see that was already great news to me. Okay, so following on to the last part of my dissertation, which is a discussion and conclusion, uh, I just expand more on this issue. And the first thing to address is that we're still not certain how the growing public interest in the topic of repatriation is going to affect future repatriation cases. However, it is possible to predict that it is going to affect the decisions made by returner countries and that can be seen on a relatively recent case where the French president Emmanuel Macron was uh, on his electoral campaign and he decided to return uh, objects to Africa, to certain African uh, countries and he openly spoke about that decision and he openly admitted that his decision was made as to renew and deepen the partnership between France and the African continent as he stated for BBC News in 2020 uh, and the Benin bronzes that were returned they were stolen from Nigeria by British troops in 1897 and the Benin bronzes were sold to other museums and private collections across all the European countries. And they were also later sold to museums in the United States of America. And therefore, that leads to recent cases in which Germany had recently agreed to repatriate some of the African artifacts they hold in their museums. While the University of Aberdeen in Scotland also promised to return a Benin bronze after they concluded the way it was obtained was extremely immoral, as they said on in an interview to BBC News in April 2021. Uh, the British Museum also holds items from Benin, and they also informed recently that they... Uh, are committed to facilitate a permanent display of Benin materials uh, in Africa. However, they did not state how many items would be returned. They just said that it could be a temporary return, which the British Museum very often uh, tries to negotiate. Uh, and the example set by these recent cases of repatriations, uh, they could lead to other institutions in the future to also follow suit and 
possibly lead into an increase in the acceptance of repatriation cases or even changes in law and regulations, which were specifically designed to standardize the repatriation process. The guidelines for German museums produced by the Tusha Musenbund in 2021 is a guideline that many museums often use in order to analyze different repatriation cases. And although the writers of this guideline recommend that repatriation mostly be considered in cases where the trading of cultural artifacts or human remains um, were carried out in an illegal manner back in the day, they contradict themselves when stating that, in the writer's opinion, even in the colonial settings, there were, quote, transfers of objects where all those involved were on equal terms due to an indigenous system of exchange and reciprocal presenting of gifts, end quote. Uh, therefore, the writers conclude that it would be problematic to declare all those in native communities as being victims of colonization. And this statement clearly portrays the power imbalance in colonizer mindset, which unfortunately is strongly present in academia up until this day. The author's statement that transfers of objects where all those involved were in equal terms is a historically inaccurate saying, which is surprisingly portrayed in an important piece of guidelines for museums. And stating that colonized peoples at any sort of equal grounds towards their colonizers should not be accepted in academia any longer, since it is historically known that this process of exchange between colonizers and colonized involved asymmetric information as well as power imbalance. As a trade with someone who does not fully disclose the real intent behind that trade, later enslaving, torturing, and murdering entire population groups was not in any way an equal ground back then, thus it should not be considered as one now. Uh, the recurrent argument made by the returner countries that certain items had been acquired illegally back in the day ignores the fact that a lot of things we now know to be unacceptable were also legal back in the day, such as the transatlantic and intra-American slave trade, which research such as the one carried out by a team of researchers that created a website called Slave Voyages in 2021, has been proven to have consequences that reach far beyond the slave trade itself, impacting up until this day the economy of colonized countries, as well as the lives of thousands of people who are now unable to trace back their family tree due to cultural erasure caused by slavery and colonization. It is for these reasons that many researchers and professionals who work for museums as well as other scholars have started to question whether repatriation should be considered more often as a way of a country owning up to its past mistakes. Although repatriation cases are growing every year, the processes for repatriation requests can be extremely difficult. However, even though national cases of repatriations can be quite difficult, the international cases of repatriation are a lot more complicated due to differences within the law between the requester country and the returner country. There's also an insufficiency of specific laws in place on returner countries in order to guarantee a fair treatment of every repatriation request. Because even if a repatriation request is accepted, there are no systems in place which would enable facilitation between the different laws in the requester country and the returner country, which often leads to inconclusive cases of repatriation due to neither party being able to come to an agreement which suits the expectation or the understanding of rightful ownership according to their own national laws. 
And this problem could be mostly solved if the current international agreements for repatriation, such as the 2007 United Nations UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, as well as the 1970 UNESCO Convention on the Means of Prohibiting and Preventing the Illicit Import, Export and Transfer of Ownership of Cultural Property, included a stronger and clearer definition of what breaches those agreements in order to avoid gaps in the law, which are often used by returner countries, as well as imposing consequences for any countries that sign those agreements in case they commit any acts which are in breach of those agreements, in order to make clear that it is unacceptable to hold cultural artifacts and human remains which were illegally exported from other countries. This is the end of this episode. I hope you guys liked it. I believe I've covered everything that's more relevant about my dissertation, but there's still some things that I haven't mentioned to make you guys curious enough to go and check out the whole of my dissertation. Uh, you can go to my ResearchGate account uh, and you can find the link on the description of the episode. Then there you'll find both my poster about this topic, which is a shorter way to view my project, but you can also find my complete dissertation and look at all of the graphs I've generated, look at all of the um, information uh, about the project and about the background of the project, as well as further information on different cases of repatriation that I mentioned on my dissertation that I haven't mentioned on this episode, to make you guys curious to go and check it out. <laughs> but I have mentioned all of the most important things about it. So I hope you liked it. I hope you found it interesting. Please let me know on my social media how we found this episode and how you found my dissertation. If you enjoyed it or not, if you found it interesting or not. If you didn't find it interesting, keep it to yourself, please. Don't hurt my feelings. <laughs> but yeah, to be honest with you, I am happy to do this episode. It's very important to me. I hope everyone liked it. And yeah, I'm going to stop here. Uh, thank you for listening. I feel like this is the longest episode so far. I'm not sure though, but I feel like it is the longest episode I've done so far. So if you are listening to the very end, thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Bye.